passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You see what happens in... They take one look into my eyes and they don't like the abyss that stares back at them because it unveils a truth, a truth about themselves, a truth that allows them to fade to As if they don't have too much on their plates The Kings of Combat Sports Podcast, John and Wade They talk about the things they did that day They'll analyze the work of Vince and Triple H Rewind to Smackdown Rewind to Smackdown Rewind to Smackdown Rewind to Smackdown Smackdown Hello everybody, welcome to Rewind to Smackdown I'm John Pollock, along with Waiting What's happening, Way? Hey, John, how are you? It's been a really busy evening, I found. There's a lot of news. I was, you and I were discussing, you know, by Tuesday night, we should definitely do our endgame discussion because there'll be less stuff to talk about. Well, we're going to do our endgame discussion, but that feels a long way away. There is so much going on. Well, in light of that, I'm glad we're moving the double shot again this week to Wednesday night so uh, we can get through all of this. Yes, so uh, you can tune in Wednesday night. We'll have the double shot for all you members of the Post Wrestling Cafe reviews of Viceland's episode on the Von Erics that will be airing on Wednesday night. I'm sure Way has caught up on some Being the Elite. We're going to chat the Crockett Cup. Uh, is there anything I'm forgetting? I don't think so, unless, you know, a bunch of other things pop up. But uh, for now, that might be it. But That's also- a lot of stuff already. Yeah, as well, uh, British Wrestling Experience comes out on their feed with their latest edition. So that's all Wednesday. Yes. Thursday we'll have Up Next Out. Friday, uh, once again, we are doing the Cafe Hangout on Friday this week, and we're really making it worth your while to tune in live at 3 p.m. Eastern Time. We are going to be joined by Conrad Thompson and added to the schedule, a first way, the first time we are going to have two guests on the Cafe Hangout as MLW's Court Bauer is going to be gracing us with his presence on Friday. Awesome. Fantastic. I look forward to it. So very much looking forward to those chats. And then this weekend, we'll also have uh, some other Patreon shows, including a review of the wrestling Dontaku cards that New Japan is putting on. And that's our weekend. Yeah. I'm sure. Oh, Rewind Away is out on Sunday. That's right. Yeah. And also on up next on their feed, they have uh, the Phantom Menace review. Just a oh reminder. There's no shortage of stuff to listen to. So check all that great stuff out. Postwrestling.com and sign up for the Post Wrestling Cafe. There's... I believe four bonus shows coming up over the next couple of days. So lots of cool stuff to check out. Let us dive into the news. Uh, let us not waste any time. We're going to start off with 
Brock Lesnar. Uh, ESPN, uh, Brett Okamoto and Ariel Hawani have been reporting on this on Tuesday night that Dana White uh, spoke with Brett Okamoto stating that he was informed by Brock Lesnar that he's done, that he is not coming back to fight Daniel Cormier. And they are now moving towards Daniel Cormier and Stipe Miocic in a rematch uh, of course, Cormier beat Miocic last July for the heavyweight title, and that's when Brock Lesnar attended the show and got into the cage and started the ball rolling for the discussion of Cormier and Lesnar. And uh, ESPN is adding that the two in Cormier and Miocic, they verbally agreed to fight on August 17th in Anaheim, California. The contracts are not signed, but Dana White did confirm to ESPN that is the pay-per-view date they are and the location that they are planning to run and it looks like it's going to be Cormier, Stipe Miocic. And I know sometimes people uh, certainly have many grains of salt reserved for Dana White statements, but I do believe that it's going to end up being Cormier and Miocic in August. Seems to be. I mean, with, uh, with the amount of reporters that seem to be uh, as confident as, as I think they are, um, I, I guess, you know, it's interesting to think about what this whole discussion was for Brock Lesnar. Was he actually considering a uh, return or was it all just a part of the games to, uh, you know, help him with his negotiations? At the very least, he was in the USADA testing pool since last July. So, I mean, that's not just uh, bluffing. Um, whether there was serious substance to him uh actually wanting to fight again i i would imagine that it was something that like i always go back to ufc 200 when he beat mark hunt and the the joy on that man's face at that post-fight press conference we went to he was just he was just on top of the world Uh, like this guy i think truly does enjoy the aspect of fighting i think it is going through these camps that this guy's going to be 42 come july and ultimately he's getting an enormous deal from wwe and Worst also, case, he also, also John, like for that particular fight, um, he got caught afterwards. So yes. go, going yep. into yeah, this the one, two drug tests going into this one, perhaps having to do this one clean at an older age, would it be a different type of camp? Yeah, um, I I was never that confident that Lesnar was going to end up doing an, another fight. I think ultimately he was going to stay with WWE, and it looks like uh, that is going to be the case. So. Uh, that's where things are going in the UFC direction. Uh, does Do you feel that that will be it for Daniel Cormier? This one last fight with Stipe Miocic, it's obviously a major uh, departure financially from what a Brock Lesnar or even a third fight with John Jones would represent. Um, mm-hmm. A, do you, do you like this fight? And B, do you think it'll be Cormier's last? Unless... Um, unless there's, there's more renewed interest in, in a John Jones match... Uh, you know, just for one last chance for him to 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 get at him, I I do see it being his last fight. Um, you know, it's obviously not as big as 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 Lesnar, but I, it's probably the biggest one you could make right now. And you have to imagine that ESPN Plus. I mean, that has to be a bit disappointing because as they are trying to get all these new subscribers to buy these pay per views, uh, Brock Lesnar is obviously one of those very few figures that. Uh, they probably very much were hoping for a Brock Lesnar fight that would sway enough uh, wrestling fans and just lapsed fight fans to sign up for ESPN Plus because in the U.S. that's the only way you can watch the pay-per-view. It's true. 
But it's also, I mean, I guess it would kind of bring new eyeballs to the ESPN service if people who haven't done it before. But in a case, in a matchup like that, I mean, you're, you have two guys that are on their way out. So what stars would you be making anyway? Well, I think it's just ESPN is looking to have big, big fights. And I don't know if Cormier Miocic is, you know, it's it's a rematch. It's it's a fine fight, but it's not that kind of fight that is going to, the world is going to stop for Daniel Cormier and Stipe Miocic. I think uh, Cormier and Brock Lesnar built up for two months. Uh, I think if it was on just regular pay-per-view, I think that would have a shot at around 800,000 buys. Sure. Raw on Monday night did 2,158,000 viewers. Uh, They were down 9% from last week. 29% 29% from last year, and their third hour fell under 2 million viewers. They lost almost 19% of their audience throughout these three hours. Uh, there's really no way to look at this number with any positivity. Uh, this is among the lowest numbers Raw has ever done in its history. Um, I was trying to find out for sure and was asking because the episodes from last Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve did do lower than this. I do not believe there are any other episodes that have done lower than this. Um, so this is among the absolute lowest raw numbers in history uh, in pretty select company. Um, and, it, and it didn't start off well, and it still was able to lose a lot of viewers. And something tells me we're going to be having similar conversations throughout the rest of this year. Um, we're only in the second round of the NBA playoffs, and I don't even think it's just the NBA playoffs. I think it's... It's more than just competition. I think it's an overall popularity decline at a at a pretty alarming rate. I'm honestly surprised that we haven't seen much of a retooling. I mean, outside of the superstar shakeup, uh, creatively, the show is exactly the same. Um, you know, like we've kind of mentioned in our reviews, and including SmackDown now. These shows are, are, are really no different. And they haven't really gone to the well to, like, try to, you know... Uh, uh, spike a rating or to really try to save things like they have been in the past. Um, so I I feel like there's there's at least a on the TV product it reflects like a bit of a a lack of wanting to change. If anything, they're just doubling down on on pr- producing the same show that has not been working for quite some time now. Yeah, I think people are almost craving hearing like a story about them. Going like really caring, uh, and I'm, I'm I think that's the wrong word to use. I'm sure there is a lot of concern, but they're publicly not selling that fact. You are not hearing uh, stories of like giant panic, um, and the show is not reflecting that as though they are panicking. It does feel as much as they're just continuing on with the same show they've always been producing, and. I don't know how they're necessarily reading all of these numbers. Uh, The NBA playoffs are also down a pretty significant degree from last year, but that also has to go with the fact that so many of the big teams are out. You're talking about um, an NBA playoffs without a LeBron James. Superstar absences. Exactly. I think that's a big part of the NBA playoffs being down. And with Raw, it's an even bigger decrease from last year. Like When you're talking 29% from last year, that's that's an alarming figure. yeah, I, I don't know what the the point is, and maybe maybe they don't believe that there is a um, that that point that as long as the USA Network looks at it and it's still among the most watched shows on cable, that they're they just look at it. Well, the the bar is being adjusted, and Raw is still performing at a certain level. I don't know. I don't know what the ultimate answer is to all of this, but I would be 
greatly concerned. And I think that if you listen to the investors call last week, they started to see a lot of the declines that go beyond just television viewership, but live events and many other metrics that were down and asking a lot of these questions that a significant popularity decline is never a good trend, no matter what guaranteed money you have to offset these declines. Mm-hmm. Yeah, certainly. I feel like they're they're still in a pretty safe period right now, where uh, they they these these numbers, I, I suppose, don't matter as much. But I think once September hits and you have Fox looking at all this stuff, it's you know, which I'm sure they're already still looking at it now. But it, they really have to, I would say, deliver by the time the Fox deal comes around. I I feel like you will see a bit more urgency. Part of me wonders if they're saving, you know, all these kind of sweeping changes for that period. But in the meantime, I mean, we have a lot of months before that happens. So then again, what 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 is it that, you know, that, that they can do? They brought back the McMahons. Hasn't really helped things. They brought back the McMahons. They did the week where they did all the – they've done now two cycles, actually multiple cycles of NXT call-ups. We had the six that they aired all the videos for that, uh, you know, Lacey Evans group. Then we had the four that came up in Black, Ricochet, Gargano, and Ciampa. That was a very a panic move. And then we had the post-WrestleMania call-ups. And then we had the shake-up. It's not as though they've been doing nothing, but it hasn't had well, – uh, it, it hasn't is, been have, able to stop the bleeding. Have they been doing those things well? And I think that's very questionable with regards well, to – Well, that's a bigger problem that even if you come up with ideas, the execution has not been all, all that well thought out. And you have things like – a ricochet who's losing one week and then the next week you're you're featuring him and i i question just some of the week-to-week decisions that you have of what are it's one thing to have long-term plans it's another to be able to to stick with them and have stories that play out over a long time that's going to keep people tuning in week after week at three hours a piece yeah yeah we'll see we'll see if things uh do you think this is the bottom or do you think there's more room to fall? No, I think as the NBA playoffs get deeper and we're and they're going to be going up against some of the finals, I certainly think it, this is not the lowest that they can go. As again, this is only the second round they're in and I think that that will even if they're if they are combining sports competition with a popularity decline, I mean I I think there's still room that it can fall below. Mhm. It would be really something if this had been a year ago when the contracts were being negotiated. What kind yeah. of an impact that would have? And, you know, not to not to like press the panic button, but we talk all the time about, man, if there were networks out there that saw what WWE is doing and wanting to get wrestling, like if you're following these trends, are you necessarily looking for, are you looking at professional wrestling as a whole of being, very much in steep decline that whatever highs there were last year from the television industry, has that significantly cooled off that if an impact is knocking at your door, are you even taking that meeting that professional wrestling might not feel like the hot thing at the moment? Yeah, that's for sure. I think that's something that if AEW ever, whenever they launch their TV product, that will get a lot of answers to, is this a cooling off of wrestling period or is it just a cooling off from WWE? Um, I wonder. I don't, I'm not even sure myself. Uh, this is a small thing, but it's just going to end any speculation ahead of time that May 25th, the night of Double or Nothing, CM Punk will be in Coachella, California to call CFFC along with John Morgan. So 
That is going to be at 6 p.m. in Coachella, California. So uh, I don't think uh, it could really work out that he would be able to pop up at double or nothing in a mask. Wait a second. You know Tony Khan's got uh, plenty of jets. We've seen Jericho do the same thing. I mean, Coachella to Las Vegas is not the biggest uh, trip to make. But not at all. He's got a lot of fights to call. Begin. <laughs> I, I don't think it is going to uh, have much life. Uh, Kurt Angle spoke to uh, WrestlingInc.com and confirmed that he had signed a five-year deal with the WWE and is now a producer. And I've heard that he's already started in this role. So he is one of the producers backstage. Cool. Yeah. I mean, you know, we don't often hear about what the role of or, or who gets credited for doing what. But um, certainly somebody of his great ability, I'm sure, has a ton to offer. And I'm very curious to see how he performs if we ever hear about some of those uh, um, uh, results. This should be a credit roll at the end of each match. I think so. Put it in the in the graphics. Nice. This, this match is produced a, by this Michael Hayes original. By. Yeah. Give them some credit. Um, Anthony Corelli. Uh, was down at the WWE Performance Center last week, and he was there during the the tryouts that they were holding. And he was talking about this on Aftermath on Tuesday, and it was interesting that he talked about the NXT talent are kind of broken off into, like, there's three tiers. There is uh, the people that are on NXT television. Then below that, it's the, the ones that travel on the Florida loop. And then at the bottom, he mentioned this thing called PC Live. And it's like these in-house shows that are just for NXT people and colleagues. And it's these in-house shows where if you're trying out a new gimmick or you're teaming with someone new, and just it's pretty much just like uh, a practice kind of setting to try out new things. And I had not heard of this before, and I thought it was kind of interesting. That is interesting. Yeah, I think you know some of us wonder if you're one of the guys who aren't on NXT TV or even doing house shows, how much experience are you getting? And I suppose this is maybe their their idea, just to give these guys in ring experience, but only in front of a closed amount of people. But wouldn't it be crazy to see like Kushida, like in in one of these shows, or like like guys trying out new gimmicks and just I don't know, just having. Yeah, I'd love to watch some of these. I'm sure they're taping all of them. Oh, I'm sure they're they're taping everything. Uh, Corelli was mentioning that they can, there is um, like a system there, like a network where you can just log in and you can access any of your matches and probably gives you access to God knows what, like of the WWE library as well. But you can, like all your matches are filmed. It's 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 probably like you're under surveillance in the Performance Center. How do I get that? tier of the wwe network yeah How much that's do i have to pay for that access the live feed of the performance center that hunter and vince get in their office that would be a that would be a higher tier of the network yeah uh dave Meltzer has reported killian dane will be going to nxt which uh, i had heard that they were uh, that was in discussion so that looks to be happening nikki cross going to raw so the superstar shakeup continues as everyone takes uh their, their new homes and one final match announcement. Uh, Kento Miyahara will be defending his Triple Crown Championship against Shuji Ishikawa May 20th at Korakuen Hall. This was set up when Ishikawa beat him in the carnival. And that's that's like the big 
uh, feud in all Japan. Just these two have been career rivals and Miyahara defending his title. So they had a great match in the carnival, and this will probably be a really awesome match in a couple of weeks' time at a Cora and Hall. So there you go. That was very concise, but we got through quite a lot of news here. Wonderful. All right, let's get into SmackDown from Tuesday night at the Schottenstein Center in Columbus, Ohio. And, Way, let's do a quick recap of Raw. What are the two differences between Raw and SmackDown as outlined by Seth Rollins? Well, Raw has red ropes. SmackDown has blue. Mm-hmm. And Raw has, um, I don't even know that uh, announcer's name. And SmackDown has Greg Hamilton. Well, Tom- Seth said what? that Yeah, we don't have Tom Phillips here. And I would assume that Tom Phillips' uh, equal on Raw would be Michael Cole. So how did we start SmackDown? Wait, is that what he said? Well, we had who who was hosting uh, the the contract signing? Wasn't it Michael Cole who hosted the contract signing? Yeah, yeah, I think so. He said that this would be Tom Phillips on SmackDown, and we don't have Tom Phillips here, and yet we open up SmackDown. And there is Michael Cole, our MC, in the middle of the ring. Wow, interesting. Okay. So we have one difference between the two. Ropes. Yeah. Michael Cole brought out Kofi Kingston, tossing out his pancakes to the fans. And we got highlights of the last two months leading into his win. And Cole calls the WWE title the most prestigious prize in the company. Kofi said that none of this happens without the New Day, and Cole called his win at WrestleMania magical. And it may have been the greatest WrestleMania moment ever. And the crowd is chanting, you deserve it. And Cole says, indeed, Kofi, you deserve it. Kofi says, next to the birth of my children and marrying my wife, it was the greatest moment of my life. And then they recap the attack by Kevin Owens last week and said that, He should have seen this coming, but the New Day, they believe in second chances, and they thought Kevin Owens wanted to change. All Kevin had to do was ask for a title shot, and it would have been granted. And Kingston offers to defend the title against Owens at Money in the Bank, stating he is not afraid. Yeah, that's it. it, Sorry, was was that the end of the segment? Uh, Then Owens came out. Owens came out. He accepted the challenge. He said the fans love their moments, but they're also fleeting, and those moments end. And no one believes Kofi is actually championship material. He's in over his head. And then Xavier Woods runs out from behind, from behind, to attack this man. Owens not only recovers, then he lays out Xavier Woods. Just looked like a total fool here. And Owens just walked to the back, and and Xavier Woods was left for dead. That was our opening segment. Yeah, I mean, the idea, I guess, was to lay Woods out for the rest of the show. Um, But I feel like they had already achieved that last week. And, you know, coming out of the segment, I was a little disappointed that they didn't kind of treat last week's closing angle with a bit more severity. Granted, it was just an apron powerbomb. We've seen guys survive far more than that over the course of a week. But if you told me that Woods was going not going to be in attendance tonight from that powerbomb, I think it would have added a lot more... Uh, um, I guess uh, 
in, uh, reasoning behind Kofi being really mad and angry. Instead, we didn't get that type of Kofi Kingston to start the show at all. It was just no. He was happy throwing he was on top of the world pancakes. You know, like considering what they were building to for the final segment on this show, I think you needed a pissed off Kofi from the beginning. Certainly, an attack like this wasn't enough to warrant that angry Kofi coming out from the entranceway that we saw at the end. And that's, I think, part of the reason why overall, especially in that final segment, I thought all this kind of failed. Yeah, I thought that, uh, I thought the Xavier usage, yeah, it was like the the super kick is what laid this guy out after you did something significant the week before. Um, Yeah, and it it just, uh, it really didn't click to me with the angle from last week. They were very disjointed from one week to the next. Man, all the New Day was in the train. All the recaps yeah, for this too, I thought were overkill. Like it felt like the kind of segment you would have aired coming out of WrestleMania, not three weeks later. Yeah, and even then, I wouldn't have like they went to like five packages or something like that. Five, th- three, four highlights of, of just basically everything. And, and I think it's it's fine to like re- remind everybody what happened, but in the course of a 10 minute segment to have like half of it being taken up by video packages, I thought it just kind of killed the energy that this show started off with. Woods and Kingston were in the trainer's room. Woods back is all messed up. And Kofi said, I didn't want you to come out. He said, I've got this. And Xavier has a family to think about. And Woods took the advice and he did not show up anytime further in the show. Yeah. That was it. But Kofi was not out of the woods yet. They announced that Bailey would be part of the Money in the Bank ladder match. This was revealed with a graphic. And then Becky Lynch took on Bailey. Non-title match. They went through a break. Becky landed a missile dropkick and a Bexploder. And then a double clothesline. Both go down. Bailey got a two count off a small package. And then Bailey connected with a back suplex, climbed to the top, went for an elbow drop, and landed on Becky's knees. And she proceeded to apply the disarmor. And Bailey tapped out. Mm-hmm. Becky retains. Or... It wasn't a title match. She just won. Uh, But before she could celebrate, Charlotte runs in, attacks Becky with a running boot, got a lot of heat, and just tossed Bailey into the post. Mm -hmm. The shoulder insurance that this company needs. uh, And there went Bailey to the floor. Pretty much like the exact same angle as Monday, you know, with like I can tell I could see like people getting confused thinking that Becky only has one match and it's against a tall blonde woman for the championship and just not realizing that they're two different people. Cause Monday to Tuesday, they are pretty much the exact same angles. Uh, I would say very generic in terms of those builds. I thought this match, you know, for a match that they promoted beforehand as a match between Bailey and Becky for the first time since their NXT days, it ended up being rather just, you know, standard and kind of forgettable. It was not as good as Charlotte versus Becky from last week. Uh, though I am con- digging Bailey's- Charlotte and Bailey, Charlotte and Bailey. Yeah, sorry. Though I am digging Bailey's continued uh, aggression in her in-ring offense. It's just unfortunate. There's really n- no storyline reason for her to be more aggressive right now. This was just a match by the end. All right, way. I want you to name the performer. Okay. Fear is a powerful and paralyzing tool. It is in man's nature to fear what we don't understand. Opponents try to figure me out. And by the time they think they have, the referee has counted three in my favor. 
any help of conquering that fear has simply left this earth. They take one look into my eyes and don't like the abyss that stares back because it unveils a truth about themselves, a truth that allows them to fade to black. This was your promo way. This was for you. You were the only person this was written for. I was so happy at the end of this. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I part of my, um, I complimented them on their, their them holding back the use of the T-shirt catchphrase "fade to black" in last week's promo, and this week they brought it back. But you know what? I I really I didn't dislike it. I enjoyed the way he got to it. To me, it felt a lot more organic than you know in previous times when when he's gone out and tried to jam this catchphrase into these things. I think if you use it sparingly, it it'd be totally fine. So overall, I've been enjoying these Ricochet backstage promos in the dark rooms. I I think they're effective in conveying like a sense of mystery and, and coolness to this character. I I feel I'm gonna be ultra critical if they, if they screw this guy up because I I look at Alistair Black and I see a guy that could be a top heel or a top babyface. I think he has that potential and. Mm-hmm. There's very few guys that I look at now that have absolutely main event potential, and he's one of them. That has not been tainted. He is someone I think the audience, if you just allow them to, they will get behind this guy. He is awesome to watch. Um, so yeah, I just I just hope proceed with caution with this guy is my only hope. Yeah, you you could say that about it. Will you buy a T-shirt? Do you think the T-shirt should read "Fade Two" and then the black, like the the ink, literally turns black on the sheet on the shirt? Wow, that'd be next level. Uh, let me look up the the Alistair Black T-shirts. Alistair Black, I'm sure there there's already one that's out there. I liked how he did clarify that when the referee counts three, it's in his favor, not that he's lost the match. He made that clear. His match his match actually looks pretty cool. He's got this black mask shirt that looks with like a like an interesting drawing. Um, you could buy a standee of him. Yeah. Oh. Okay. Okay. Well, there you go. You WWE could even shop. You can even buy a ve- the vest. Does he even wear a vest? Like the denim vest? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, you could you could own that, John. Can I get the uh, the rickety black uh, backboard that he comes out with? Um, I don't think they, I don't think you can order that. Maybe in their custom shop. The Hardys came out next. Jeff was on a crutch and they're interviewed by Kayla Braxton. They've heard the the reports of his injury. Jeff says, well, instead of me explaining it, why don't I show you? And on the screen was not footage from a recent house show in Wisconsin. But Lars Sullivan destroying everybody, including the Hardys. So they are attributing Lars Sullivan with Jeff Hardy's pending surgery that he says will take him out for a long time. And uh, it's been reported, right knee injury, and yeah, the guy's going to need surgery. Didn't give a timetable, but stated a long time. That's all we know. Yeah. So SmackDown loses another team. Matt says they are giving up the tag titles. Jeff is saying he will be back better than ever. And then Lars comes out. And Lars goes after Matt first, tosses him to the floor. Jeff is in the corner, trying to get out of the ring, but he can't. He's stuck in the ring. 
Matt returns and gets hit with a freak accident. And then Lars corners Jeff again. When R-Truth comes in, uses a chair from behind, Lars no-sells it. So, okay, you've got to watch this really carefully. And probably many of you are going to have to go back and rewatch this after I explain this. Lars turns away from Jeff, and Jeff leaves the ring. Lars proceeds to attack R-Truth. He takes the chair away, hits R-Truth with a freak, freak accident and a running powerbomb. So then Lars leaves the ring, and he gets onto the floor and walks to the back, and there is Jeff laying face down on the floor. And I'm thinking, did I... Was I taking notes and I missed him attack Jeff? I had to have missed it. So I rewound it. No, Jeff just leaves the ring on his own. And then he's face down on the floor. They forgot to attack him. But he sold the attack. Maybe he just tripped. On a bad leg. He was down. He was not moving. (laughs) I didn't know what happened here. Oh, no. That sounds serious, actually. He had a literal freak accident. Um, some things you can't really explain. Um, you know, maybe he just, maybe he learned to play dead. Maybe that's part of his tactic. I'm just trying to figure this stuff out. Like we, we saw phantom drew McIntyre a few weeks ago, just disappear during a match. Uh, I I don't know. I I don't know what this was. (laughs) I can't, I can't possibly break this down. I'm sorry. My analysis taps out. To whatever that was going on here. Jeff's uh, phantom menace attack here. So then we had the money in the bank graphic for the men's match with four empty outlines. And one by one, they were revealed via graphic. Mustafa Ali, or I'm sorry, Ali, Finn Balor, Andrade, and Randy Orton. Mm. So you know what that means. Tag match later tonight. Yeah. I love it. What do you How think else of the... am I going to know who the participants are? Well, this is a preview way of Money in the Bank. Right. A preview. Yeah, I know the, the cast seems fine. You know, it's it's a pretty strong mid-card tier. I think um, Andrade... I think all four of them will, will do pretty well. Um, you know, this will be a really good match. Yeah, I think Andrade is still my pick. Of the of of the eight, actually. Asuka and Kyrie Sane took on uh OVW performers uh, Amy and Jaylee, uh as revealed by uh, Squared Circle Sirens, uh as I was trying to find out who these were. And they uh there you go. They had the identification right there for you. The iconics were on commentary. Man. Uh what what did you think about them on commentary? Because they were essentially the focus, and this also the cutaway revealed that Corey Graves got a haircut. Yeah. He 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 showed it last last night too. Uh the iconics were really annoying, and I know that's usually their shtick, but um I thought it came at the cost of my interest in the match here. Um it was just them constantly taking focus, I thought, away from the in ring. And it almost made the match damn near unwatchable. So if that was their intent, then good job. But I wanted well, to talk this about one... this. Uh, I wanted to talk about this uh, opening and uh, this entrance theme that they've got for Sane and Asuka now. Okay. They, this was, I don't know if you paid attention to it at all, John, but it was the laziest. I don't even. Music I mix. can't even call it a mashup. 
yeah, like it really was just like, I'm gonna play, I'm gonna play half of uh, two seconds of Sane's song, and then I'm gonna fade down on it. And I'm gonna like go to Asuka's song for two seconds, and then back to Sane, back to Asuka. It was just terrible. It's so, the last minute wedding wedding DJ that you just need somebody to press buttons. Oh God, I guess so. It sounded like a radio in between stations, or when you're driving between like two two towns. It just like kept cutting back and forth between these two songs. When are they going to start using the uh, the wrestle and flow guy? Like, couldn't he be uh, coming oh, up with They've some got cool jams for these guys to come out with? They've got him doing like social media, so he's like doing like Instagram stories and things like that. I'm sure at some point he's going. to I want him doing entrances. Him, but... Like that's what I, I want to hear him like give some some remix tracks, some new life. I'm I'm with you. Yeah, I mean, I, I I'm sure they hired him for a reason. Probably that being one of them. But um, the, he this team could use it. So Sane was patted on the head by Amy, and then chopped her back. They double teamed her. Uh, the Iconics asked what the opponents' names were, and they just got a sarcastic response from Graves. So I guess they couldn't identify these women. Codebreaker, running blockbuster, insane elbow, two minutes, eight seconds, Asuka and Kyrie Sane win. I mean, maybe you could just make these two the SmackDown tag champions. Maybe we don't need men's tag champions. Let's uh, go with the women. I would watch Sane and Asuka versus any of the men. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I thought I thought Asuka and Kyrie looked great. They're they're already um forming a lot of great double team moves together. If you were able to kind of, you know, zen yourself enough out of the commentary in order to focus on the in-ring, I think you would notice that these two are exactly the type of tag team that I think you want um, to put those belts on. Like this, these two versus Bailey and Os- uh, uh sorry, yeah, Bailey and Sasha would have been a, a a really good match that I think you could have built up to uh, on a pay-per-view show. Instead, we're getting. The Iconics, who, again, they're very entertaining, but to me, just the wrong wrong people to have championship belts. Do you want me to give out a free idea for somebody out there that is really, uh, that wants to launch a YouTube series? Take a, any WWE television match and put Japanese commentary over it, and I wonder how much better it would come across. Right. Maybe. Could you imagine this match with just screaming Japanese commentary? Yeah. Maybe not this match. Maybe maybe pick something else. I mean, it could be. I a, feel it would make a difference. I think it could be any language. We're just talking about like drama, right? Like in in like we're, we're talking about like. Sound. Well, yeah, it doesn't have to be Japanese, but I think like, that would like be the easiest commentary to get. I want excitement. I want drama. Like like a like a like a soccer uh, call from like. Italy or something, I'm sure would 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 work great. Or forget it, like put Jim Ross over it. Mandy Rose is in the back with Sonya Deville. They're informed that only one of them can be in the Money in the Bank ladder match. They have to choose. And Sonya says this is like choosing between Beyonce and J Lo. Rose says it should be you, Sonya. And Sonya realizes that she's trying to flatter her so she'll allow Rose to be in it. And that's exactly what Sonya does. She says, yeah, you should be in it. You came close to winning the title, so you take it. 
So Mandy is in the Money in the Bank ladder match. Yeah, yeah. Um, I wonder what this particular thing is leading towards. You know, they've kind of been teasing a breakup with these two and then getting them back together for, for a bit of time. This seemed like it was Mandy trying to uh, play some type of a um, mind game, but it's it ended up not being that. So, uh, you know, but I wonder what the reason was for this. I thought it was a good bit of backstage um Performing from Sonya, I thought she did a good job with her lines. This is better than a graphic revealing an identity. Sure. Roman Reigns came out. He was referenced as the greatest acquisition in the history of the superstar shakeup. And he comes out to address the quote, Superman punch heard round the world from two weeks ago. Every single country registered this decibel level of fist meeting face. He says SmackDown is his yard now and gets interrupted by Shane McMahon, who has Greg Hamilton introduce him. And he says the McMahon family owns all of the land. So we've got uh, the yard owned by Roman Reigns, the house that has been constructed by AJ Styles, and now the the plot that it's all built on is the McMahons. So there is your WWE geography. <laughs> Roman says, your daddy owns all the land. And Shane comes back saying, you struck a, quote, national treasure. A national treasure. Shane has been having quite the no-holds-barred match with the English language of late. He says that he was left laying last week, and Rain says, well, could you do that on your own without Elias? Shane says, I have to go jump on a plane to go to Michigan to go work with Coach Harborough. Coach Harborough. And I'm thinking to myself, this is Shane McMahon. Even I am aware he must have butchered this name. And so I look it up just to be 100% sure. Uh, this was... Jim Harbaugh that he was trying to reference no. very close to Harborough. And then Corey Graves corrects him like moments later. Once Shane that ends his promo, Graves goes, coach Harborough is the assistant to coach Harbaugh. They're all part of the same team. <laughs> Got it. I love these promos from Shane. Now Shane brings out his muscle to deal with Roman Reigns, the B team. The former Raw Tag Champions, they note. And Shane announces a handicap match, which Reigns responds with, how original. And then Shane adds a referee, Elias. And this was what they sent you to commercial break with the balls that you would stick around to come back for this. So we got Roman Reigns against the B team. Elias is the outside referee. Now I'm going to be honest. Uh, the beginning of this, I felt this was like death. I was like, I I don't want to watch any of this at all. But the crowd really got into this match a lot. Um, Elias distracted the referee. It was a bunch of double teaming on Reigns and getting Elias involved. Uh, Dallas had this long choke applied. And then Reigns comes back. He hit a Superman punch to Dallas off the apron. Uh, then a Superman punch to Axel. But Elias pulls the referee out. And the crowd is like, they're reacting to this. Reigns goes after Elias, then hits a drive-by to Dallas. 
Elias throws Reigns into the post and sets up a near fall with Axel using the perfect plex with Elias running in and counting two. So Elias gets his guitar, Reigns breaks free, Superman punch to Elias, spears Axel for the big pop, and wins the match. And maybe on paper this did not look very appealing to me, but I cannot say this did not work for the live crowd. They really got into this by the end. Yeah, this was one where I I totally found myself being very different from the live audience. And all the credit to the performers because they built a match that this audience really reacted well to by the end. They built up Roman beating the odds against this team of three well enough to, to elicit a huge reaction by the end. So then our, our final match was Finn Balor and Ali against Randy Orton and Andrade. They did an insert promo about Orton, who is, said he's going to win his second money in the bank. And then Andrade and Vega came out, and Vega called this the best part of everyone's night, getting to see Andrade, who took the microphone. He has no respect for Balor. He has no respect for Ali. And he tells Orton that if you want to learn something, tag me in, and I will teach you respect. And respect is what was taught. Balor caught Andrade with an enziguri, sending him off the turnbuckle to the floor. And we got these double dives from Balor and Ali with the camera zoomed out. So it looked really cool with both going to opposite sides of the ring to the floor. Vega then distracted Balor. Andrade yanked him off the buckle, hit the running knees, only got a two count. And then there was a sling blade hit to Andrade. Ali tagged himself in and hit the 450 splash. And Ali pinned Andrade. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought, you know, fast TV match, small preview of Money in the Bank. It was fine. It was quick. It yeah. was very quick. And I don't know, this Finn Balor and Andrade program has uh, it's gone in many different, uh, many different ways that they have uh, tried to build up Andrade for a future title match. I guess so. I think you're going to have to maybe see that uh, take a bit of a... Uh, lose focus a little bit with money in the bank coming up. Uh, maybe that's something they'll continue after that, but, um, or maybe they'll just completely drop it. I don't know, but I, I do feel like Andrade is somebody they are uh, making a priority on SmackDown. They've been giving him a lot more singular promo time out even away from Zelina. He's been speaking a lot more English here tonight. Didn't really elicit big reactions, but I would say he didn't fail either. I feel like, Maybe it's all in an attempt just to let him feel a bit more comfortable by giving him a bit more practice talking. Yeah, I was surprised he took the fall here. I thought Ali was going to be designated for that spot here. But I guess not. RKO was delivered by Balor to Ali. Or, sorry, uh, Balor took the RKO. I think it also tells you he might be winning the briefcase. You know? Andrade? Yeah. Beat beat a guy uh, repeatedly. And then give him the big win at the end. And then when he doesn't quite get over, like, what what happened? Yeah. I would rather just imagine the idea of a guy that just won. He won nonstop. And then he achieved something big. They do that sometimes. Uh, but typically only with Giants. But even then, that, that's not even the case. The last time I feel like they really like had somebody go on a complete win streak all the way towards the championship was what? Brock? 
Uh, you're talking about Brock himself or someone? No, challenged? I'm talking about like the last time they had somebody debut and then just win everything on his way towards the belt. Yeah, it's very rare. It's very, it's very rare that they go that way. Or I mean, even with these programs, I mean, it's so often it's just guy beats the champion, uh, and they just they do that to death. Or it's just trading wins back and forth. It's very rare that you get just a big program where it's two guys who are just beating people. Both of them. And they're going to have this collision at the end. And you don't know who's going to win. Because we've been watching both guys looking dominant for two months. Mm-hmm. And therefore you separate people from the pack. And you hopefully have some stars at the end of it. Because they look more superior than everybody else. Ember Moon was backstage. She is also going to be in Money in the Bank. Carmella walked in. She says that the contract's going to be hers. She mentioned winning it two years ago, but they couldn't mention James Ellsworth helping her. And those are our final two females in the Money in the Bank ladder match, Carmella and Ember Moon. So that's our lineup. Yeah, it's, you know, it's a... It's an okay lineup. I think you're clearly missing uh, any members of the Riot Squad, including Ruby Riot. Have still haven't heard from Liv Morgan. I I I imagine they might be keeping her back this long because they want to figure out a new character for her as a single star. Um, no one from Nikki Cross, but you know. So I think in no Sasha. Yep, no Sasha. So you're kind of getting no Tamina. Uh, not that I I would really expect her either. So. Seems like these four. I would say Ruby Riot to me seems like the 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 most glaring omission, but um, beyond that, seems like you know the top tier of who they have on both shows. And the final segment was the Kevin Owens show. There's no desk. There's no graphics. He says he doesn't want any of that stupid crap like New Day would use. He is the show, and he's going to help Kofi by taking the burden of the title off of him. Calls out Xavier Woods, but there is no Xavier Woods. So instead, he pulls out an Xavier Woods action figure, which he says is one of the many items that the New Day has shamelessly shamelessly been shilling for years. He asks the action figure if he's lonely, and to fix this, he pulls out a Big E action figure with a wrapped-up leg and puts it next to the Xavier Woods figure. This upsets Kofi Kingston that the man must come out. And he charges the ring. They start fighting. Owens gets sent over the desk. And the damn office chair gets dropped on Kevin Owens. And Owens hits him with a thumb to the eye and retreats through the crowd to end the show. It was, like, almost scary how quiet the reaction was for Kofi's coming out coming out at the end. And it was, you know, supposed to be your typical, like, hero makes his entrance and beats up the heel or chases him out of the building, crowd goes wild type of thing. And we've seen big reactions to Kofi in the past. So to me, he's not the problem. I feel like there was a real issue with the way this final segment was handled. I don't think they properly built up to Kofi coming out for a confrontation. To me, there was no real threat that Kevin Owens, you know, put up there for Kofi to come out to... Um, I don't know, seek retribution for. Um, attacking Woods, he was clearly okay. Woods was not, like, injured or anything. Kofi couldn't be that mad. He started off the show, like, you know, throwing out pancakes and whatnot. So I I don't think they achieved uh, clearly what they set out to by the end of the show. And it just felt really weak. I think this program has been a victim of 
just being rushed. I think that they they needed a match for Money in the Bank. This was obviously not the initial plan. Mm, but last and week, last week was the start, and last week was perfectly fine. They still have how many weeks do they have before Money in the Bank? They've got th- uh, two more episodes after this, so three I, weeks. I think that's plenty of time. But like last week was a pretty hot angle. I thought this week just felt like a. Mm-hmm. A, a, like nothing, nothing to really what this needed was the, the big Owens promo of like why he turned. We got no answer for what, why did he do this? Yeah. Like you, you have tons of reasoning for Kevin Owens. He was left off WrestleMania. Like he was literally replaced by Kofi Kingston. Like there's a lot mm-hmm. to sink your teeth into if you're Kevin Owens to get this program over, but none of it was explained. Kofi didn't sell any of the angle last week. Um, it didn't click. I mean, we can come up with all the reasons. Right. It didn't work tonight. Felt at all. It felt like a very cold program. Yeah, and and let's also be honest here. You know, you're in Kevin Owens. You're not dealing with the. We know we we all sing his praises. We all know how talented he is. But you're also not dealing with somebody with the star power of somebody even on the level of a Daniel Bryan. Uh, certainly, you know. So, Kofi Kingston versus Kevin Owens as a main event program. I could see many people who don't typically tune into WWE wrestling looking at that and saying this is a mid-card feud at best you know in terms of star power here Kofi Kingston himself is already kind of like still trying to like establish himself in that main event scene and you have Kevin Owens who just has been a mid-carder for the better part of like you know when he was here last year so um they are going to I mean I'm not expecting great things in terms of ratings for this particular show but both men and I think the writing and everything has to be great has to be excellent and has to feel somewhat personal uh they have to work extra hard is what i'm trying to say in order to get people's attention and it didn't work tonight yeah th- this was a rare real swing and a miss episode of smackdown for for me i, I was pretty disappointed with the show I-, I think it was it's very rare i come out thinking that uh smackdown was the inferior show um yeah but i kind of felt that tonight yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm trying to even at this point remember. I would say both shows are pretty much on par. And I this think, wasn't a good week. Well, I think that's what's rare is that SmackDown is usually the far or better show. I'm not going to say far better show, but usually I come out of SmackDown feeling like I watched a better wrestling show than I saw on Monday. This just felt like a continuation of the level of the quality of show that I saw on Monday. Pretty like very predictable booking. Um, I would say lazy, you know, just down to like. Charlotte uh, attacking Becky after the match, like we've always seen before, uh, putting participants in a Money in the Bank match in a meaningless tag team match with with one another. I was very disappointed by the Kofi Owens follow up, uh, which I don't think achieved all that much, um, and then just a bunch of other shit like that. You know, really does not spark that much interest. SmackDown, everyone, that is it. We did get a feedback thread up tonight, so let us head over to the forum, forum.postwrestling.com. I would give this show a three. Where would you go, Way? I feel like um, I I go five. Five. Yeah. Like, I'm, honestly, I'm nice. one of the best things on the show was Roman Reigns in a handicap match. Yeah. Like, what's that saying? A 4.55 is how the forum voted tonight, so... Little above me, little below way. Paul from New Jersey. What was with the opening of this show? Felt like a rerun. Didn't like Kofi at all here. 
Is Aleister Black trying to portray himself as the most interesting man in the world from those Dos Equis commercials? It made me laugh, and I'm sure that wasn't the intention. Both the Iconics and New Day should have their own commentary options. I'd watch Corbin before Reigns. Guy just bores me to tears. That didn't bore this Columbus crowd. That Did was not. like the hottest they were all night. Yeah, yeah. I think, uh, I mean, Roman continues to be pretty polarizing depending on the town that he's in. And this was a crowd that recognized him for his star power. But I, 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 I kind of, I wouldn't say I prefer Corbin over him. But to me, watching him on TV, I've, I've already started to check out. He's, to me, in my eyes, the same Roman Reigns as he was six months ago, five months, uh, a year ago. Um, if they... Sorry to interrupt, no, no, but if, no, if we still see Raw declining and going through these numbers, how long until they're putting Roman Reigns on that show as well? But they also have to think about October. What do you I'm do? I'm not saying you take them off SmackDown. I'm say, uh, And I think October is still, that is months away. They're thinking of Monday's rating. And I think that yeah. that's one of the few options they have because there aren't a whole lot of options. And I can see them looking at... Well, we can't call up Ronda, and Roman Reigns is our next go-to, and we've put him on the Tuesday show. So that means they have to give Roman the women's championship belt. Yes. Or make him a women's tag team champion. Yeah, you can have uh, Asuka's music cut the Kyrie's, cut the Roman Reigns. Oh. Man, the, yeah. the, the pirates that are hit by the rain, mm-hmm. there, there's some beautiful t-shirt to make there. With the Shane McMahon program that that you know uh, he's working with Roman, I can certainly see them uh, giving that kind of leeway for anybody that doesn't like Shane McMahon to appear on both shows, just so that yes. they can confront Shane. Yep, yeah. I can totally see that. That Reigns Shane does something on SmackDown and Roman shows up but, on Raw, but they're be- just they they're not. I don't think they're even like looking for a logical way to do it. It's just well, no, we're yeah. we're gonna put him on whatever show. Yeah. I, I don't even think that there's gonna be that deep thought into. The the not. divisional line between Raw and SmackDown. You've had Becky and Charlotte like crossover both shows when they were working that program with Ronda, so it it doesn't matter. But but I guess my question is, John, do you think it would make that even that big of a difference in terms of no, ratings? No, I don't. I just see that being one of their um one of their answers to do something. But I don't think ultimately it would make a, a an enormous difference because Roman wasn't making a difference leading into WrestleMania. Jay from Colorado says, as usual, the Iconics were the highlight of the night for me. I love those two so much. While they were on commentary, I turned on the closed captioning to see if the closed caption guy could keep up with them. Spoiler alert, he could not. At one point, I swear he typed, I can't, followed by <laughs> a line of gibberish. After that, he just covered Corey's commentary. God bless this man or woman for their impossible job. I couldn't imagine how harrowing it would be to type the show live every week. Easily the worst job in the world. Where was I? Oh, yeah, I love the Iconics, he says. Matt, in the 604, did I miss something in the Lars versus Hardy segment? Lars throws out Matt, and then as he goes after Jeff, R-Truth hits the ring with no conflict between Jeff and Lars. But when Lars leaves, Jeff is laid out. I watched in Canada and maybe missed it. No, I don't think Canadians are uh, censoring a Jeff Hardy beatdown. I think all of us missed this mysterious attack on Jeff Hardy. It was all in our imagination. Yeah, that's it. Um, okay. We'll I, go- I think you have to skip the next two and yeah. you, you go to uh, our man. Brandon from New Jersey. It's been a while since I've had one of these. Yeah, I know. I need a break. My dearest Brad, 
Low House. Hey, it's Brandon from New Jersey. Great to speak to you again. Been a minute or two since we spoke, and I just want to thank you, John, for the compliment you said the other night regarding myself inspiring the Firefly Funhouse. <laughs> I'm tearing up. Oh, man. Okay, SmackDown. Wow, it was interesting. From Women to Kofi and Owens, it was solid. Some meanderings. You think with what they are doing with Ali Black, with the vignettes, that they are showcasing him for a potential run at a, as a spokes, spoken word TED Talk tour? Well, do you? Yes. That's clearly okay. what they're building him up for, All I right. think. With bad luck failure look like... Why did bad luck failure look like a Samoan Dudley brother when he worked against Rocketman Juice Robinson at Sengohan Lord? Are you excited to watch? I, all I think Shane McMahon wrote this feedback. <laughs> or, yeah. Are you excited to watch all the Maha Bali Shira matches on TNA Plus? Do you agree with the reduction Bill Blair announced Monday that the government will give Ontario $17 million over five years to support various anti-drug driving initiatives? Anti-drug driving initiatives. $17 million over five years. Um, anti-drug driving. Okay. Is, Does that uh, mean I get a subsidy for not doing any drugs? I don't think so. Oh. I don't. I, I think it's it's more to promote. Like advertise, like you can. Does he mean anti-drunk driving instead of anti-drug driving? I think he means anti-drug, as in maybe marijuana, maybe maybe other drugs. Okay. Well, I mean, I don't know what the budget is like uh, for Ontario this year. I, I, I mean, you know, is that an, an appropriate amount? Ads can cost a lot. Sure, seventeen million. Hmm. Over five years. Hmm. I don't know. Did Rambling Rabbit smoke a blunt during that segment? I don't know what what you're talking about. Uh, rest in peace to Damien with that char- Chuck Car- with what Chuck Caruso was. Okay, sorry, done. <laughs> hey, I'm re- I'm reading about Bill Blair here. Okay, um, it's that time, John. Is it officially time? Okay, I think so. Everybody that does not want to hear about Avengers Endgame, good night. Turn the podcast off, and if I hear from anybody, I'm blocking blocking you. I'm usually a muter. I will block you. Wow. That means they can't even read your tweets. Exactly. You're out. You're gone forever, and I don't want you then harassing way to say, why did Pollock block me? You know why you were blocked. It's because you annoyed me. So hey, let's be said, honest, man. I think if we've you, scared everyone off. Let's be honest. Like, did you hear what this this fucking thing did over the weekend? If you're somebody who didn't watch it this weekend, you probably don't care that much about this movie. Like, because anybody who cares about the, re- the outcome of this has already seen it, if not multiple times, like myself. Yeah, it, it's been out since Thursday. So you have a duty as a fan to go spend your money and watch this movie. And if you haven't done it by now, I imagine it can't be the ultimate priority. Well, then, I, I, did you not hear about this uh, professor, though, who said, like, his brother's not in town until Wednesday, so he can't watch it till then, so he's telling all his students to, like, um, not talk about it? Yeah, I, I don't understand why he should have that expectation. He has to watch this with his brother. Like, understand, they probably have some ritual together, but your brother's not in town. He's probably watched it already without you. 
Yes. I would watch it without him. <laughs> Be like, dude, I'm not waiting. <laughs> I'm not in town, but that doesn't mean I'm not watching it. There mm. are theaters in multiple cities, I hear. So, uh, yeah. You know what? I, I've i said my piece on, on the spoiler culture that is out there. I think so- people are a little too... Uh, little too sensitive when it comes to that. So, John, you went to this Thursday opening. I saw day. this before you. Yeah, I can't believe this. I think I saw Infinity War before you as well. So, I do. I, I I'm I'm first there to to see this movie. Tell me so, about your screening and tell me about just like you know did uh, how big your crew was. Like if you saw anything interesting on the way there. Yes. So I went on Thursday. You and I finished our cafe hangout, and then. I drove to the uh, to the movie theater and actually got there a bit early and then met up with my friends. And I want to say there were about 10 of us that were there. And it was actually funny because uh, I was talking to one friend and she was saying how she's recently gotten back into watching wrestling and all because of Becky Lynch. I'm like, oh, well, that's that's interesting. Okay. Yes. Great. And has actually heard of our podcast. Cool. Well, hello. Uh, so yeah, that was about it. Not any, uh, it was completely packed at this theater. As you can expect, there had been one screening before and we were going to the second one. So, uh, I, my biggest concern as I had outlined was like the three hour situation. I was like, what am I going to do here? Like, do I get a drink? Do I not get a drink? I was like, no, I am not, I'm not punishing myself by not getting a drink here for this movie. I need something for three hours. So I was like, screw it. I'm going, I bought a drink and went in, looked around, could not find my friends anywhere. It was assigned seating. No one's there. I'm in the wrong fucking theater. So I have to leave, go to the right theater and then found my seat, went to the bathroom as soon as the movie was right about to begin and then proceeded back to my seat. And then I sat back away. And I was, I've never been so strategic with the amount of like sips I took from my drink. I ended up only drinking half of this thing because I was in the middle of my row. I was like, there's no way I'm getting up during this movie at the two hour mark and being that person. There's just no way out of here. There's 10 people on either side. So I'm locked to this seat for the next three plus hours. And man, the amount of ads and trailers ahead of time, I'm just like doing this in my head. I'm like, this is not, the three hours has not even begun yet. Oh yeah. It's like a half hour of like trailers and commercials now. Like I would pay, I would pay an extra probably $5 if I could not be subjected to ads, even trailers. Like I'm not a big trailer person either. Like I would, I just want the movie. That's all. That's enough of a time commitment for me. Yeah. I don't want all this other stuff. Well, I would John, pay more I mean, if I could avoid that. You could save $5 and just show up later. I could do that, but it becomes difficult. When you're meeting people, they've got the tickets. Then you're coming in the dark. you got to find your assigned seat. It's just it's complicated, especially for a movie like this, to okay. just show up late. All right. Anyway, I know I'm complaining. So then anyway, then the movie begins. And I proceeded for the next three hours way to enjoy the greatest movie I've ever seen in my life. Wow. Did, did, did not get up for a bathroom break? Not, not only did I not have to go for any bathroom break, when this thing ended, 
I was not ready for it to end. I was like, this was the perfect length for this movie. It could have gone longer. It was the fastest three hours I have ever experienced in the history of Monday nights or any other nights of the week. Well, that is quite the review in itself, John, because um, you you definitely seem very concerned and, and going even in with the mentality of not caring enough to, you know, take a, cover, a bathroom break in the middle and hearing that by the end of it, you didn't experience that fatigue at all. In fact, you didn't even have. Did you have to pee or did you like just I, I did go to the washroom uh, after. But I, I honestly, I was like not in. Uh, it was like just a. Uh, but, but it was minor. never it was never boring is what you're saying. No, there was no downtime in this movie. I needed a coffee after this movie because I was just I was wired after this movie. Mm-hmm. It was uh, it was so incredible. That opening scene where uh, we have uh, Ronan. Well, former Ronan uh, Hawkeye with his family and they they just go into dust the whole theater gasps. I was like, this is going to be something incredible. This yeah. is the first scene, and it's already starting off on a very, very high point. And mm-hmm. I have always said my uh, my favorite movie-going experience at a theater was for Rocky Balboa in 2006. And it builds up to the fight scene, and the entire theater is chanting Rocky. It's like, this is the coolest thing ever. I never thought I would be able to replicate that. When the words Avengers assemble were uttered in this theater way, this place lost their fucking minds. Oh, man. And there were several moments like that in this movie where people were cheering. People were going nuts for that fight scene at the end. I thought it was like one of my favorite fight scenes I have ever seen. When when they come back, all of the Avengers return. Yeah. I I, I think, you know, because... um... It, it can be so hectic, like trying to get tickets and lining up sometimes for like an opening day thing. It scares a lot of people off from going opening weekend. But let me tell you, because I had two viewings of this. I've already seen this thing twice. I watched once on a Friday and I just watched one screening today in the afternoon. And it was the difference of watching a wrestling show in front of a after WrestleMania crowd um, at Raw versus watching an episode of Raw from Ohio State University on a random Monday or Tuesday. Like, it's a world of difference, I would say, getting the most rabid audience to watch a show with you, hearing, like, amazing reactions to pretty much, like, everything that's designed to get an amazing reaction Versus, you know, just the casual audience who just like, yeah, okay, that was nice. And people being afraid almost to like stand up and cheer. Um, But on on a Thursday, on a Friday, even on a Saturday crowd, you're going to get just the the most pure, like loudest types of vocal reactions when you're watching a movie. So it was like that for you on Friday night. Yes, it was. Yeah. Um, yeah, I went, I went Friday evening and, um, I was so nervous, John, like throughout the whole day of just like avoiding spoilers all the way up until like walking into my seat into the theater. I was just afraid that I would catch people either in the bathrooms or like walking out of the theater talking about it. Uh, it it was kind of like my primary focus that, that day to make sure that I don't have any of this thing spoiled for me. I can't believe you avoided them. 
I well, I'll tell you what's I, amazing I'm, is I'm is shocked. They 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 like you know like uh, uh Marvel and and Disney themselves like they went they promoted a whole campaign uh, about not spoiling Endgame and I have to say like I feel like the world really respected it. I don't even think Colby Covington tweeted anything about it. So there definitely were people that did it. Uh, and, sure. and that's the part like I know I always talk about like spoilers of people getting like, but to me if you're simply just trying to be malicious and ruin it for people like you're going out of your way to do that like i saw a few people on like my facebook feed who did it on the friday and i instantly unfriended them because you're just being shitty like that's your only hope here is to be shitty to ruin someone's experience and it's probably because uh i don't know i i also had the opposite reaction because when when we talked about uh, our predictions on thursday and i was i was going with with Iron Man dying like I had not given any thought to what was going to happen in this movie until you asked me and as I was driving to the movie I'm like thinking it out and I was like I I would absolutely kill off Iron Man so I I went into this movie like confident in my prediction and when I saw that scene early on where Tony is with his daughter dude it was it was Dawson Leary's dad so happy with the ice cream I was like doom is coming to this man. I thought that scene it solidified it for me. So I was kind of watching the entire movie expecting him to die at the end, but it was still as impactful at the end when it actually happened. But he did and not. It seemed everyone was genuinely surprised that it was not Cap that dies. It seems everyone just assumed he would be the one to die. I I felt they played with the the expectations from the audience really well. Um they there were certainly teases, you know, even back to Infinity War there were teases of Tony getting stabbed by Thanos and potentially dying in that movie. He didn't die there, but I thought in this film like, you know, with the um, um the the end fight scenes, there were certainly moments where Cap Cap suffers a bunch of like, you know, wounds from Thanos that he manages to survive and in the end um yeah. Uh how did you feel they they handled all of the like, I thought it was so cool the way they had to go back to various settings of prior movies to go get the stones. And having not seen all the movies, I can't 100% appreciate all of it. But I'm just watching this saying, like, if you well, are someone that lived and breathed these films, this is the coolest idea. I don't know how much you might not have seen, John, because, like, here's kind of the amazing thing about, like, us over the past year reviewing all of these films is, I mean, for me, like... I pretty much understood every reference just because, I mean, I watch all these movies anyway. But to me, like, everything was fresh. And I'll tell you what I didn't expect was that they would make as much reference as they did to something as, I don't know, maybe kind of like... um uh, Dark World? Yeah, something like Thor the Dark World. They fucking... To me, it was like it was a, it was like a thank you to everyone that enjoyed this movie that a lot of people have panned. I mean, you and I didn't seem to mind that movie too much but it was almost like we know this one is not the most popular one but for those of you that loved it here's your payoff i think it adds a great deal of relevance to thor the the dark world so people can actually go back and watch it and and not completely dismiss it but no like you know like the 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 elevator scene from the winter soldier that they made reference to yeah um, that was that was fucking awesome even the this kid from like iron man 3 that i absolutely hate i know that was that was so cool that they, they got the actual actor who played harley uh, for the for that that final um I, that final sequence. I don't think that was going to be that big of a stretch, you know. Hey, we want you in the 
see the final scene of the, perhaps the greatest movie of all time. Can you leave whatever? But I don't think it was obvious to people that it was the same actor. I mean, he's aged uh, like what's that been eight years, nine years. It's been some time. Yeah. Uh, He, uh, in that last scene, I think everybody, he was the, the person that most people were concerned, uh, maybe questioning, but you know, beyond that, I think, um, like this ultimately was supposed to be like sort of a, a way to wrap up these entire 22 movies and not necessarily to wrap up, but like it felt like the season finale and, and maybe even like a best of, of sorts. Uh, just, it felt like the series finale to me. Well, I mean, they'll continue. So, you know, I know it's going to continue. I, I, I honestly feel like you couldn't have ended better than this. Like where, where do you go from here? This was the ultimate finish to a movie. I thought this was so perfect. Like everything was perfect. No, it was amazing. Yeah. Uh, what were, what were among your favorite scenes? Um, I have a few here. Yeah, sure. Why don't you go ahead? I thought uh, Tony going back and meeting his father. I really liked that scene a lot. Mm-hmm. Telling him that uh, thank you, uh, and then just covering what you've done for your country. I yeah, really enjoyed that, that scene awesome. a lot. That was, that was cool. Um, I thought just the the fact that they killed Thanos immediately, uh, and then of course he dies a second time, but that totally came out of nowhere. Um, Thor, what's been the general consensus of Thor in the movie from uh, what you've read or seen feedback to? Well, like watching it live, I mean, his stuff I thought hit like any time, um, you know, there was a joke with with the comedy. I mean, I guess I've, I've maybe heard some criticism from people feeling like it was too much of that. People wanting to see like, you know, Thor become real Thor by the end of it. Um, and maybe some criticism about like, I don't know, making fun of, like, uh, a depressed man. Because yeah, that, that essentially was the character. But, I mean, they played... Like, he played it comedically. Uh, he was... What is it? Chris Hemsworth. He's, like, he's really good. I think if you watch it, it's, like, you can kind of excuse it as, like, he's using him using comedy to mask the depression. Um, but it, it... To me, it felt a bit more like a slapstick portrayal. And maybe that could be somewhat criticized if you're, you know... Somebody who feels like uh, that type of thing shouldn't necessarily be joked about as much as it was in this film. But I just kind of took it to be like entertaining and lighthearted um, to see Thor, this guy who we just kind of all recognize as a god, like look like that. Um, I enjoyed it. I, I thought he was great. I, I really liked the, you know, he was not the central figure and he decided to go in a very, uh, comedic representation of it and i i thought it was i I really liked the contrast that he decided to go all in in this like fat suit throughout the film and like i was watching it imagining i i don't know how uh you know intense thor fans might think about this but i thought it was like i thought chris hemsworth was great i thought he every single character had like their defining trait in this movie i didn't feel anyone was too overlooked in the movie or anyone felt like completely excessive to be part of such a giant ensemble. And I thought, I thought um, Eric Bana as uh, like smart Hulk throughout the whole film. I really enjoyed that a lot. I I thought he was phenomenal uh, in this movie. Mark Ruffalo. You mean? 
Oh, sorry. Mark Ruffalo. I'm thinking yeah. of the other Hulk, Eric Bana. Um, yeah, I thought he was outstanding. I really enjoyed him a lot in this as well. Um, I, I guess I, I guess the the Guardians were somewhat, um, you know, not huge characters in this, especially like Drax. I mean, I, they weren't in it at all. It was it was. Just but they're getting it. their own movie soon enough, and they gave them kind of the like a plot point coming out of this that they'll go search for Gamora. So, I mean, you can't feature everybody too prominently, but I, I mean, they were in it. I mean, this was a movie supposed to, you know, that that that's that central that that's focused on the on the original six. Um, so that that was totally fine. But I thought I thought Bradley Cooper again as Rocket was great. It's amazing to me, like the role that Rocket seems to have taken now. You would expect somebody like a CGI raccoon to kind of like offer a great deal of comedy and and comic relief typically, but instead, like Rocket is typically portrayed as like. Kind of like the voice of reason, at least in this movie, it, you know, in relation mm-hmm. to Thor. Like, he is the guy who snaps Thor out of his funk and gives, like, a wonderful motivational speech um, on Asgard to him as he's he's about to, like, as Thor is at his worst. Um, so, man, I think he doesn't get enough credit, Bradley Cooper, uh, nor, um, um, what's what's his name? Um, the guy who played, Sean Gunn, who who was a stand-in for Rocket during during filming. Um, he's great. I thought Scarlett Johansson was excellent. Um, she basically assumes the role of, uh, you know, I, I not officially leader, but she seems to be the only one in between those five years after the, after the snap that continued the fight. She was the only person who didn't really give up hope and didn't really move on. You know, Robert Downey Jr. had moved, or, or Tony Stark had moved on, had a kid. Even like Captain America, to an extent, had moved on and, and you know left the Avengers facility. But it was like Scarlett Johansson still choosing to keep this get- together, and of course, ultimately resulting in in this film in her death. Like I thought, this was an excellent performance from her. Uh, and of course, you have to look at Chris Evans and Robert Downey Jr. to you know star A, star B. Um, Robert Downey Jr. maybe, yeah. Is this as good of a performance as Iron Man? I don't know. It almost again like these comparisons kind of are very difficult because this was a movie and I would say a performance from somebody like Robert Downey Jr. that has to encompass everything that came before it. So, um, but he nailed it, especially in the in those final scenes in the scene with like in the scenes with his daughter. Like oh he, man, he had he had wonderful chemistry with that little girl that played his daughter. Um. And and just that final scene of his death was was fucking heartbreaking. I bawled my eyes out like multiple times at my screening. Um, any is this a scene where he's the hologram giving the the message? Or early? it was all of it, John. Like yeah, when he died, when he was talking to his dad, I fucking cried. Like I, there's so much like like parent child stuff that just really gets to me. Um, you know. It's- oh, I'm the same, man. And it was very awkward because I had the 3D glasses on. Set to <laughs> make the uh, yeah, the, make the gesture. Man, there's that. I mean, obviously, like uh, when when Natasha and 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 Hawkeye like had their thing. Um, that was gut wrenching. Um, like so much, so much. I thought that opening scene was just so fucking great, where he's left in the open field and his family's disappeared. Yeah. Of course, this man's going to be driven to what Ronan becomes. I yeah. just thought the the beginning was man. 
Paul I was Rudd. So re- I was so, when that scene happened, I was 1,000% ready for this movie. I was like, yeah. this, is, this is the best start. Scott Lang uh, has a, tr- a huge role in this film. Um, when he reunites with Cassie Lang five years later, uh, was another kind of like, like the first, I would say, big gut punch of. I mean, second big gut punch after after Hawkeye. But you know, in, in this film, um, I thought like in such a short amount of time they were able to convey like the loss and the relief of this little girl who feels like he, you know, she was she lost her father for like the better part of like five years and then reuniting with them um, ant-man is the character i'm least familiar with because i haven't seen any of the films but um I, I still thought it it i wasn't lost on kind of the the story they were kind of crafting of like his own uh history as well and as far as comic relief goes i thought scott lang really like fulfilled that role uh i guess aside from thor on, on, in this cast and he is fantastic like he's he's so good nebula with K- karen gillen i thought was was excellent as well um, huge debate behind us after the movie. Uh, these guys were just—they could not figure out which Nebula lived and died, and they decided that they were going to rewatch the movie the next day to figure it out. Meaning, like, I mean, obviously the good one lived, but they were—they're wondering if they were misdirecting us for the future. Uh, I, I didn't quite follow their. Uh, their confusion, but it was between the good nebula and the bad nebula, which one had been killed. The good they one discussed this for about 10 minutes before they came to the conclusion that the one who phones, you want to go watch this tomorrow. The one who phones Thanos, uh, you know, to bring the one who phones Thanos was the one who was killed. Like the one who Captain was, Marvel had a way bigger role in this than I was assuming. Like she ends up getting like a lot of the big glory spots. Yeah, I mean, I would I thought say she was pre- like pretty, like she was pretty pretty integral in all of this. She wasn't mm. uh, at the level of Iron Man or Cap, but she, I thought she had a pretty big role considering. Honestly, I thought it wasn't enough. Like I thought it was too little considering how they kind of positioned her as sort of like the big savior at the of everything at the end of a. Uh, well, it wasn't War. so much quantity, but it was like she got like she was there for many of the big moments to save them. Yeah. Uh, even though she wasn't like all over the film, yeah, I suppose so. I I kind of I I have issues. I think with with a, a character that powerful, to be honest, I don't think it's easy to fit her into. Like for one thing, it's you. It's the problem with the Avengers in general. When you you know the the moment you go into a smaller movie like a Spider Man solo film, you always have to ask, well, why aren't the Avengers here? Now you have somebody as powerful as Captain Marvel, so if there's any type of threat, you kind of have to ask the question why Captain Marvel isn't helping out. And they excuse it well enough by saying, hey, there are all these other threats on on, on all these other planets just like this that she has to kind of take care of. But then it becomes just incredibly convenient and in what they call often uh, deus ex machina whenever she just comes out at the last second out of nowhere, either to save Tony and Nebula from uh, the depths of space or when um, you know all hope is lost at the final battle, and she just happens to blast in and dis- to destroy Thanos' ship, I find it's it's a problem when you establish a character to be that powerful. Um, and this was the same same issue with Vision, and I think part of the reason why they decided to take Vision out completely. But um, I feel like Brie Larson as Carol Danvers. Remember, they 
she filmed this before she filmed her own movie, Captain Marvel. So this was her first portrayal of Captain Marvel. In the end, I kind of felt like they still have yet to figure out what's interesting about the character, at least with her portrayal of it. I think you got more of it in Captain Marvel, but I feel like in this movie, she was just sort of a generic Superman. Uh, of all the stuff I've read and watched, I don't think there's enough praise for how awesome Thanos was in this. Yeah, He was so awesome. Josh Brolin was phenomenal. Like it's, just- ki- it's kind of the issue with all the CGI, you know, people like all the, all the voice acting guys, except they're not even voice acting. They're like, you know, they, they, they were the things with the dots on the face and like, it's him acting. Yeah. He, he was great. Like Thanos is just one of my favorite characters. I thought he was, he was even better in this than infinity war. I, I, I loved him in this. Um, what was yeah. the biggest reaction in your theater? It was, it was the the, the Avengers assemble line. Like when that when the yeah. when the Avengers returned and everyone joined in and the fight started, everyone was going nuts for that. So that was a huge scene. Um, my biggest my biggest moment yeah. in my theater was when Thanos is beating the shit out of everybody. He's beating the shit out of. Uh, 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 Thor, he's about to stab him with Stormbreaker, and then Mjolnir comes flying, and the person who catches it is Captain America. Everybody yeah. fucking screamed. I was like, "Yes, that, that was a huge shit. reaction I, too." Like, I, and then you see this is such a, such a satisfying like thirty seconds of Cap using Mjolnir like like he was born to use it and beating the shit out of Thanos. That's like I don't know how to equate it. Like, imagine like. You know, like it's something you only do with like your action figures as a kid. You know what I mean? Like, I I'm gonna I have this Wolverine doll. I'm gonna give him Captain America's shield, and I'm gonna like overpower him like like nothing else. And they actually like provided that in in a movie going experience and live action, and and they made sense of it too. God, that was awesome. It reminded me of the scene in um, Attack of the Clones when Yoda uses the Force. Yeah, yeah. When he or, sorry the 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 um when he uses the lightsaber, yeah, the lightsaber yeah. is what I'm uh, was trying to reference because yeah. I saw that in the theaters and it got a similar reaction. Like when he used that, everyone went nuts. But yeah. this was like that times ten. Yeah, I mean, I feel like this was even bigger than something like that because, like, I guess you you know Yoda, you know, can use the force. You would assume that he's got a lightsaber with him, but you've never seen him use it. But this yeah. was like the combination of like one character using the signature weapon of another of another superhero um and and having finishers exactly yeah except like you're you're stacking finishers you know uh yeah it was so it was awesome like i i even went on a binge of like watching reaction videos to that because there are people that would pull out their cell phones like during that segment and upload uploading that to youtube and just to like see the just to see the audience reactions to those were were huge um yeah, that um, and then the the big like reveal at the end with the uh with Iron Man taking the taking the gauntlet and taking the stones, yeah, taking the stones. That was a big reaction as well as everyone. It was like this pause because they see him. He's taken the stones, and it's like three seconds before everyone really realizes that this is death for Tony Stark. Mm-hmm. It was almost like this little like delayed reaction, but that was a uh, that was a huge scene as well. Uh, the 
I am inevitable and I am Iron Man. Yeah. Which I guess is a nice like callback to the to the first Iron Man, right? That's right. Yeah, the last uh scene from the first Iron Man. Yeah, it was uh like I mean, I thought the final battle was like so good. I mean, I I rewatched Infinity War today as well and um I really love the Wakanda battle, but this one, you know, was 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 very satisfying. I don't even want to compare the two, but they're very just seeing satisfying. all the characters come together and they're all interacting in this fight. I just yeah, I was at the edge of my seat for this entire fight scene. It, it was like a comic book splash page of everybody yeah. like showing up, and so you know the like you know like when Tony gets it and and snaps like you know that was the finale and it was all equally thrilling as well as heartbreaking because you know the ensuing I have to say they in like. One, two, three, four. In four movies, they've established such a beautiful relationship between Tony and Peter Parker that um, you really kind of wouldn't have expected, you know, like three, four years ago before all of this was announced because it had been kind of so brief. But, you know, like Tony, like, or or Robert Downey Jr. was able to just, they were able to write Tony in such a way that he was so haunted by Peter Parker's death. Like that to to me was the reason why he ultimately decided to join in on this last run with with the time right. traveling and whatnot because he felt guilt for not being able to protect uh, those around him, including uh, chief among them Peter Parker. So you know we all remember like the the dusting scene with Peter Parker and how heartbreaking that was in Infinity War, and for them to like basically kind of do the reverse of that in this movie with Peter like being the one one of the final people to talk to Tony Stark as he's dying was chilling and it was beautiful. It was so well done. And then to have Pepper there just to like for his final moments and you have Robert Downey Jr. just like not even have to say a final word. It was not cheesy. It was I mean, it was it was just like a beautiful like hero's death. Yeah, it's like you got the you got the huge combat scene which was awesome in in one sense but then like the last 15 minutes it's not like it was just this you know slow close to the end it was like that was just as intense but it was all it was wrapping up all these stories and characters for those final 15 minutes you have tony's death you have that incredible scene where you're just panning through the memorial and it's every single person is there i thought that was cool um, yeah. And then you have all the stuff with Cap at the end, uh, going through the time travel, the reveal of him with uh, with Falcon handing the shield over to him. You have Thor linking up with the Guardians. It's like all this major shit is happening, uh, like one scene after the other. And it was all this like big stuff right until the end. Well, I mean, what's I think ultimately so masterful about a film like this is that not only did um, the producers of this film, uh, the Russos, Marcus and McFeely, not only did they manage to make reference and give you a satisfied conclusion to all 2021 20, movies that came before this, they also had the task of setting up everything afterwards. And they managed to do everything like pretty flawlessly, like everything seamlessly without like, like, you know, all the projects that they had to set up with, with this thing for the future, not only do this you have insane. to... It's like, absolutely you got, insane. You got to set up Spider-Man's next movie, Far From Home, which, you know, they did. And you kind of have to set up, like, how how Peter is going to deal with, like, the death of, of Tony Stark. Um, 
You're... And where is it? Is it five years in the future? Yeah, it's it's going to be a bit a bit weird. Like the time gap and and the fact that like the people who did get snapped haven't aged is going to make things super weird. And I think the idea is that all of Peter's friends from his class just so happen to also get snapped, so they stay the same age as him, like Ned and whatnot. And then a bunch of guys are just already graduated that aren't important characters, I guess. It's like Spider Man is the one franchise where the aging is. Yeah, most prevalent I agree. like you could get away with it with most of them and but explain it's five years in the future but spider-man you can't yeah it's just it's high school like it's a world of difference one year is a world of difference in high school so you well, know look, have... look at look at harley keener like look how he's aged in, exactly uh, just over that so, um, so yeah but yeah, man i'm so pumped to see how they deal with like all these little mm-hmm. things and like I'm so excited to see spider-man now not only do you set that up you have to set up the next guardians which which they did but also, they had to set up the low-key, uh, like, all the Disney Plus shows. And uh, I, I think it's been theorized that that's how they're going to do the Loki um, uh, spinoff, by having an alternate timeline version of Loki with the Tesseract just jumping from place to place somewhere. Mm. Um, you know, uh, I guess Scarlet Witch and Vision, they didn't really have to do that much setup for. Like, that's something they'll have to figure out on, on their own another time. Uh Black Widow's, so um, you know, heavily rumored solo film is about to come out, and they didn't really set it up here. But I'll say, like, giving Black Widow that that like honorable like uh, um, death in, in in this scene to me was a huge push for that character, and to me, like, she kind of rose from just being a side character now to being like an A lister. They they made her feel like a leader in this film. They gave her a, a death as heroic, if not maybe even more so than Tony's. Not as much time spent on it, but, you know, she's up there, and I have way more interest in a Black Widow solo film, even if it's a prequel, uh, than I did before this movie. And what, what what do you think happens with, like, the Captain America franchise? I mean, this clearly seems like it's the end of, of Chris Evans, uh, outside of maybe yeah. the, the occasional, uh, you know, guest appearance, um, whether, yeah, uh, a cameo appearance. But it seems like they are going to transition to Falcon. I wonder if they will do full-on movies with Anthony Mackie as Falcon. I would love to see it. Um, but I I kind of... I'm, I'm curious. I feel like Falcon and uh, War Machine and Scarlet Witch and, you know, uh, Winter Soldier. They're, maybe Winter Soldier to a lesser extent. But, like, those... The other three are kind of characters that really haven't been fleshed out as much as the others. They haven't really given Anthony Mackie as many heroic moments as they have Tony, Steve, or or Thor. And if their intent is to make a full-fledged Captain America movie starring Anthony Mackie, I think, I, I mean, knowing their track record, they could fucking put out, like, uh, footage of, like, you know, somebody shaving their back in the locker room. I'll watch three hours of that thing. So I have no doubt they would do a great job, but they just have to, you know, they have to provide it. And what is, what is the status of Chris Hemsworth? Because... Based on this, you would expect him in Guardians, but is he is he not one of the others who's was going to be finished after this? What, what? I, I don't believe so. I believe he's sticking oh. around. Uh, I have okay. not. Heard, I certainly have not heard as many rumors of of him his contracts ending. So um, I think he's you know again he's had renewed life now coming off of Ragnarok as this comedic Thor that people seem to love. Uh, a pairing with him in the Guardians, I think, would be great for both franchises. Yeah. Um, but even if he just like did uh, like a second Ragnarok of just him like out in space with Korg and, and a bunch of those like Valkyrie, them trying to deal with new Asgard. I mean, I'm, I'm on board for that, but 
I think the way to go would be like there's there's a lot of life for Thor. You know, she he now can interact with everybody from that space side of things between the Guardians to Captain Marvel, um, and 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 anybody from Earth too. So I I would love to see Chris Hemsworth and Thor stick around. Uh, did you? St- I'm sure you stayed till the end. But what did you uh, think about how they handled the uh, the graphics at the end? Yeah, there's no close post uh, post credit scene. Instead, it, oh, sorry, you mean the um, yeah, like, that's what the, I'm talking about, like the the non post credit scene. But there was like some stuff thrown in there. Yeah, they had um, so they had uh, like kind of like a photo of of all the main Avengers and the cast, the main cast members. But for the final six, they like prominently featured with like longer uh, credit rolls, uh, you know, digitized signatures and whatnot, all really just as a curtain call. And and to elicit reactions from the audience and just to be there, even from like my second screening on Tuesday, John, like there were there was a big ovation for uh, Chris Evans, big ovation for Robert Downey wow. Jr. Um, but on my Friday screening, I mean, Scarlett Johansson had a huge reaction, um, you know, Chris Hemsworth as well. Yeah. So I, I loved it. It was like being there and seeing the cast members come out for real life curtain call. I was stunned at the amount of people that left during the credits on the Thursday night screening. I like think, it I, wasn't it wasn't half the theater, but I would say it was like thirty percent just left before the credits were over. And there's no way they could have known there was no post credit scene. Maybe I mean they I mean, you know people are very fast. This movie came out like two days earlier in China, so maybe people already knew that there was nothing to stay for. But there was something to stay for. It was not yeah, a, like I I don't think that anyway. Whatever it was like. Enough people that were just leaving that maybe, uh, for whatever reason, were leaving. Uh, they did not have an, a proper scene, but they had instead the sound of Tony Stark hammering his armor to make the first Iron Man suit from the first Iron Man. And the Russos, I believe, or, or Joe Russo has, has said that this was just their way of paying tribute to um, Tony Stark. I actually hope we never see Tony Stark again. I thought this was such a perfect ending to his character. Yeah. I don't want him to come back. I think that this was just the oh. ultimate final period on the sentence. This was Shawn Michaels versus The Undertaker uh, in that retirement match. It was a perfect way to go. Or, or, or Ric Flair versus Shawn, Old Yeller. Yeah, you can't have a better retirement match than this. I think we'll see Tony in, in the way of you know those holograms from time to time. He might don the voice of some person's, somebody's AI suit the same way that Jarvis used to be I could accept that but um this was a perfect way to go yeah no it was um this was 180 minutes of just perfect cinema way I was so glad that we did all these reviews because mm-hmm. I was so much more up on all this stuff like I you're probably pretty much people, got everything it was yeah. such a difference than Infinity War I'm so glad I'm so glad I mean look again look how far you've come from not knowing who Steve Rogers was to being completely like and like to knowing who the kid from Iron Man 3 was you were probably telling people around you who that guy was <laughs> fucking Ty Simpkins <laughs> <laughs> I had to look up his name yeah. um no it was it was awesome like I I left it and because immediately I was thinking about like our list, and I was like, I'm I don't even have to debate it. This this is number one by a wide margin for me of MCU films, mm-hmm. and I I feel it was like if you're asking me right now, what what is your favorite movie you've ever seen? This is invariably going to be in the conversation. It's very high. It might be number one right now. I, I love this movie so much. I I am planning to go see it a second time in the theater uh, as soon as wow. I can. 
Well, wonderful, wonderful. Well, I mean, uh, these these types of ratings, I think, might be they're always so difficult because, like, you know, I'm coming off of like the still the the high of it. Um, so maybe it's something we will properly rank by the time we get to actually revealing this thing in full. I would say maybe about a year from now, John, and with our uh, MCU reviews. Um, but it's also kind of difficult, like I said, you know, because this is like a season finale that really has to take into account everything that came before it. So you kind of have to judge it, I would say, maybe on slightly different criteria. That said, though, one of, if not the best film going experiences I've ever had. Absolutely. I'd be really curious to hear someone watch this movie without having seen the prior ones. If they could still really enjoy it uh, for a movie, because I think that you still could. I think so, too. Yeah, absolutely. But I think it still tells enough of um of a story within it that, yeah, yeah you're not going to have all the history. And that's such a big part of it. You're not going to appreciate everything. But I still think it holds up as a really strong movie just uh, on its own as well. It's so hard for me to like to say like what that experience would be like. But I almost like don't care because like so much of what what is created in Hollywood in art in general seems like it's made for the lowest common denominator. Whereas, you know, one of the highest budget movies that's ever been made it is made seemingly largely with the hardcore fan in mind, making reference to movies that, you know, maybe not everybody has seen, including like Thor the Dark World. They had fucking Jarvis from the Agent Carter TV series play Jarvis in this thing. Um, like the real life Jarvis, John. For me, I just thought it was awesome that we, I found out the origin of Jarvis. Like he yeah. was Howard Stark's driver. But I thought that was cool in and of itself. But it's always what really impressed me about Kevin Feige and and Marvel, uh, the the MCU, because they they care so much about like the hardcore fans' experience because they and making you work for fans. it as well. Like it's not spoon feeding you a movie or a plot line. It's you know, I don't want to like relate it to wrestling, but it's like no, we have. To, I've heard enough times the idea of you know if we can't reference something from a year ago, no one remembers that, and all this history that it's if it didn't happen last week, it never happened. It's only wrestling. Uh, people aren't going to think about that. And here's a movie that put its entire reputation onto fans remembering, understanding significance, and this was by far the biggest opening movie of all time and i just i i just think at times you have you have too little faith in your audience and the ones that you know what the ones that are not going to get it are not going to get it but you reward those that do and i think it's a much larger number when you show that kind of respect for your audience that invariably it will be much higher than you assume there's so much fast food culture these days that i i think we we can get it anywhere we want we can just like you know listen to like the equivalent of like pop music and just it's easy to understand great thank you but i think what really gets people excited is something that feels like um it's it's had a lot of work put into it people like masterpieces and people are willing to spend a bit more money multiple times over and over and pay their for their tickets far in advance if they know that they're what they're getting is of top-notch quality. And I went into the second viewing today, John. You know, my second viewing was was less of, obviously, you know, much less of, like, a sort of, like, an emotional kind of guttural experience and more so, like, seeing if there was anything that, like, I, I didn't catch the first time, making, sh like, in my mind, trying to, like, follow the narrative, seeing if there are any plot holes. 
And it's like pretty damn difficult to like find any real glaring plot, uh, plot holes. And to me, Even that's the just... time heist. Like they yeah. put a lot of time into trying to explain something that, man, that had to be the glaring plot hole uh, of all plot holes to deal with with time travel that I think they went in understanding that we need to cover our bases for this explanation. What's incredibly impressive is that they managed to keep all that as under wraps as they did, you know, because like something like this, as orchestrated as as this whole thing was requiring so many different people, so many uh, details in the plot, like I feel would be so difficult to like hide and, and to, to have people leak. But but they managed to pull all that off. Well, that is our review of Avengers Endgame. Goodbye, everybody.